Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Good girl gone bad, really needing a dad. A mother all she ever had, but she treated like trash. Her older brother locked up. Welcome to Chronic Conversations. It's your girl Mary Jane. And Talissa. And Gabby G. Uh, this week's sponsors are Waco Laser Teeth Whitening, Covered Clothing, JR Renovation, Elevate Smoke Shop, Rosalinda's Insurance Agency, and Rogue Media. The music that y'all were listening to before the podcast started is... Uh, Snake G, Ashley's Story. Yes, and I was featured in that music video, so the link will be in the description. Y'all can check that out. And ready for my Grammy. Yes, y'all don't want to miss out on that one. <laughs> yes, because I was, I was in act Hollywood mode. <laughs> We're here for it all. Yes, we have a special guest today. Um, I've been hearing this name all my life, and to finally meet this guy is like a local celebrity. <laughs> Mr. Vic Fazell, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Mary Jane. It's great to be here with you and Gabby and Tulissa. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to be with all of you. It's a little yeah. tongue twister, but yeah. <laughs> I've been listening to your podcast and I just love it. I got to say, I respect you ladies a lot. I think you're creative. I think you've got a real niche going here. And I'm just wishing you the greatest success. And I'm going to continue mm. to, to listen to you. I like it. Thank you. That means a lot. I you're know. Fun. I like the positive message, you know. What is it, take care of each other? Yes. Yeah. I love that. that. That's just a good motto. And you've been taking care of people for a long time, haven't you? Trying to. Yes. Yeah. Um, you were a DA uh, for McLennan County, one of the youngest DAs in uh, McLennan County history. I was, yeah. Yes, and then shortly after that, you got a big case, didn't you? Well, not too shortly. I mean, I went through hell to get it. Uh Oh, are you talking about the lawsuit or Henry Lucas? Henry Lucas. Oh, yeah, a big criminal case. Yes. Yeah. If if uh, if you guys haven't seen Netflix, The Confession Killer, it's a five-part series, and it explains all of it. Yeah. Uh, I come in toward the end of episode two, and then I'm in all the others till the end. But, yeah, um, most people have heard of Henry Lucas. He confessed to 600 murders. Wow. While uh, in the custody of the Texas Rangers, uh, they made him confess to one that he did not do, and he's decided if I, they're going to make me confess to one I didn't do, then I'll just confess to anything. And he did. And he started confessing to all these murders all over the country, and they were buying it. Not only were they buying it, they were helping him confess. They were letting him read the reports. They were letting him look at pictures. Uh, they were woodshedding him like crazy. Wow. Uh, yeah, after after this was all over, we got uh, all kinds of video and and audio recordings of some of the quote interviews. And it was just awful the way they were feeding him information. So, so did the confession stop once it hit your desk or Yes. Yeah. Um and was that more so because you just were like this is full of crap? I I dug my heels in the ground. They had him confess to the murder of a girl named Rita Salazar. And I read that confession. We had an investigator with the sheriff's office who was uh, working with us back then. He read it, and it didn't make sense. It just didn't. 
And then we found out not only Henry had confessed, but his old running partner, Otis Toole, had confessed to that murder as well. And you put their confessions side by side, and they didn't match up at all. Uh, Rita and her boyfriend, Frank, had been uh, out on a date. They ran out of gas on I-35. They were both kidnapped. Frank was shot down in Williamson County and left dead there. Rita was brought up to McLennan County uh, right there by Hewitt and shot on the side of the road and left in a ditch there. So that's why my office had jurisdiction here in Waco. Okay, I got it. And in Otis's uh, confession, he said that Frank and Becky Powell were in the car with him at the time. Frank and Becky were like 10 and 12 years old at that time. They were Otis's niece and nephew and had lived with Henry and Otis in Florida. So we checked on their school records. Those kids were in school. They weren't in a car helping with a murder. They were in school. Everything was just normal, you know. So I wouldn't do it. And the Rangers just kept calling me saying, let us come up. Let us plead him guilty. And so I just started wondering, how did he confess to this and give these facts? It had enough facts, you know, like little tent stakes along the way. But you could tell it just wasn't right. So... I called together a grand jury. I asked the judge to impanel a grand jury just to look at how did Lucas confess not only to this one but two more in our county that we knew he couldn't have done. And when we started looking off into that, word got out, and, man, we started hearing from everybody about uh, stuff he had confessed to that there was no way he could have done. And we, we had a grand jury that lasted for two, a couple months uh, bringing in yeah. witnesses from all over the country. And that ticked the Rangers off so bad, especially a guy named Jim Adams. He was head of the Rangers back then. And he had been former deputy director of the FBI under J. Edgar Hoover. Matter wow. of fact, he had been over the dis domestic spy agency. Uh, they're the ones that uh, were responsible for the Martin Luther King bedroom tapes. Wow. And for that letter to Martin Luther King suggesting that he commit suicide rather than accept the Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. Yeah, well, that's the kind of stuff. That's that how deep it is. Yeah. yeah. So he got the FBI involved. And it was a joint investigation. I was arrested. You can go on yeah. YouTube your and office, see the arrest. Your office, your home was raided. Yeah. They sent 30 people up here to arrest me. I looked around and I said, is the president safe? Who's watching him? <laughs> and this is because you didn't want to convict him, right? I didn't. I, I wanted the truth. But what was the charge for? How could they arrest you? They did an investigation. Am I right? They did. Uh, it wasn't an investigation. It was a witch hunt. Mm. They lifted every stone. They talked to everyone. Anybody that got arrested in Waco that said, if you can tell us something on Vic Fazell, we'll let you off. We'll make a deal with you. And there was all kinds of crazy stuff coming out that then they'd figure out there's no way to make it. But finally, they found two lawyers in town who were criminal defense lawyers who had ne never paid uh, any tax on any cash. Their records show they had never deposited any cash into a bank from their business. We can't be a criminal defense lawyer and never deposit right. cash. That's yeah. how you get paid a lot. I mean, we have a real thorough procedure in our office about how to deal with cash. Right. Because it's too easy to steal cash, and cash mm -hmm. can get you in trouble if you don't handle it the right way. And if it's too much cash, then the government's going to get you. So they never put any cash in the bank, so the government made a tax case against them. 
tax evasion and then offer them immunity if they would say they gave me part of the money, which mm-hmm. they said, okay, we'll say that. Um, claim so they that they had, wanted you. Oh, they wanted me so bad. Do you think that the Rangers really believed they, what he was saying or they were just trying to? No, they to, didn't believe what he was saying. They didn't. So it was them just trying yeah. to get someone mm-hmm. to maybe... Was and Henry Lucas white or something? Yeah, he was a white yeah. guy. Uh, he was from the Appalachian Mountains of Pennsylvania, Virginia, up in that area. Real country, real backwards. Uh, third grade education. Wow. He lost his eye when he was a little bitty kid, so he was one-eyed. Uh, he, he was kind of a sad case. So um, when did you ever speak to him directly? Oh, yeah. Henry Lucas? Gosh, yeah. We spent a lot of time together. Did he ever say thank you or did uh-huh. he really? Yeah. But, you know, because of what we did, George Bush, when he was governor, mm-hmm. uh, he commuted Henry's d- death sentence. Henry only had one death sentence out of all that. and He commuted it to life. Mm-hmm. Didn't let him off. Just said, no, we're not going to put him to death. This is going to be a life sentence. So he stayed in prison for for that life sentence and for about 10 other uh, big sentences that he had on these fake confessions. Wow. So he but, was still sentenced to life even though he was not yeah. technically guilty. Yeah. And see, and that was the only death penalty that George Bush ever commuted the whole time he was governor. So he knew. Yeah. He right. knew. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have a podcast, and I keep Shouting out to George Bush, I want him on my podcast. Right? Yeah. Because we could talk about Henry Lucas, because yeah. I know some stuff about what was going on in his office at the time that he commuted that case. And a guy named Zapalak, who worked for him, who is a great lawyer, who studied the case backwards and forwards and made the recommendation to George Bush that he commute it to, to life. I'd love to watch that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, after all that, you ended up getting out of jail and being reelected for DA. Uh, I never actually got into a jail. Oh, okay. They, I, they let me out on my personal recognizance. I, they kept me locked up in a holding room for maybe four hours. And that was about it. Uh, but they, they let me out because my wife had called me on the phone. And she says, oh, we're, we're working. We're going to try to raise money for a bond. And I said, no, don't do it. I don't have a criminal record. I haven't done anything wrong. I don't even have a passport. I'd never been out of the country. I'd just been a country boy who had worked my whole life, and worked my way up. I didn't have anything. I lived from paycheck to paycheck, you know. I said, no, don't do it. I said, I've already started my hunger strike. Yeah, this is it, right? <laughs> I, this is starting. I said, and if I have to die, I will die. But at least there will be some attention brought You were ready for war, right? I was you? ready. And so Gangsta. about an hour after that, this FBI agent opens the door and he looks and he says, uh, we're going to go get lunch. You want us to uh, pick you up a hamburger or something? I said, oh, no, thank you. I'm good. He said, oh, all right then. Closed the door and left. About 30 minutes later, he came back. He says, uh, you sure you don't want anything to eat? We'll get you a steak if you want it. I thought that was weird. Yeah. Right. You know, offering me a steak. I knew then they had been listening to my phone call. They knew right. what I was already doing. Yeah. So I think that's the reason I got out on my own personal recognizance because I was not going to post one dollar, not even one. So I got out and uh, I went back to work at the DA's office the next day. And I was running for re election at the time. They arrested me six weeks before the election. And uh, 
And then three or four days before the election, they released the search warrant affidavit claiming they had found drug paraphernalia in my home. What they had done, they had taken a toy syringe out of my four-year-old's doctor kit, play doctor kit, and labeled it narcotics paraphernalia. Wow. Yeah. That's how nasty and how bad they were. And when I say this about the Rangers, let me really, I want to say it wasn't all the Texas Rangers. Mm -hmm. There's some fine people in the Rangers. There are fine people in law enforcement. But this was just a group of bad apples. They had their own little thiefdom going down there in Georgetown. were making names for themselves and getting plaques and and all kinds of awards. And they had like Hannibal Lecter on a leash. Right. They're walking around and they're strutting big, man. Right, and this story is huge for them it's down there huge. with nothing going on. Yeah, and you know CNN going to their town and mm-hmm. you just like pretty much calling their bluff on everything. Yeah. They had a vendetta for sure against you they for did. you bringing that to the forefront. Yeah. And I I messed up their gravy train, man. Uh, their their confession wagon. That's what I did. I got uh, Attorney General Jim Maddox. He's dead now, but, man, he was a great guy. He was a real bulldog, a hell of a fighter, a liberal Democrat. I loved him. And uh, I asked him for help, and he came to Waco and brought his staff with him and and helped us run that grand jury. And with his help, I went to the district judge, George Allen, at the time, and asked for a bench warrant, which is a, a court order to take a prisoner from one place to another to bring Henry to Waco and get him away from the Rangers. We gave that to our sheriff, a very brave man named Jack Harwell. Jack Harwell. (laughs) And I tell you, if Jack were alive today, he'd be ashamed of that jail out there on Highway 6. That jail should not even have his name. I know. Because Jack Harwell was one of the most upstanding guys I've ever met in my life. Wow. He was clean as a whistle. He never lied. He never did anything wrong. He was just... He was like a, a superhero in some ways. I mean, he was just that was solid a, a guy. One he was a good, good ones, guy. Yeah. So he takes that bench warrant, and he drives down there to their sheriff. They get their DA. And then they call the U.S. attorney, who's already looking at me and saying, you know, that Vic Fazell will be enjoying the snows of Leavenworth by Christmas. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's saying crap like that. Yeah. And Jack Harwell hands him that warrant. And, man, they make him wait three or four hours and, come out and say, well, we're, we're just not going to release him. And Jack was a pretty smart guy. He goes, well, that's all right. I'll go back and tell my judge that you wouldn't follow his court order, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. He started kind of walking real slow up the sidewalk. The sheriff runs out and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. He started thinking that they didn't want to be held in contempt yeah. up in Waco, Texas. Right. you know. And so they brought Henry out and gave him to uh, – to Jack and to Dan Weinberg, who was the chief deputy at the time, another solid guy. And uh, the sheriff, uh, Boutwell, from Georgetown, put his arm around Henry and told him, said, you just go up there and stick to your guns and we'll, uh, we'll have you out of there in a day or two. Well, that didn't work. We, we kept him for a pretty good while. Now, the feds got him away from us for a little while. They filed a case on me claiming I was... Uh, violating Henry Lucas's civil rights. Huh? Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. They were down there. Anything they could yeah, pull up. They were coercing confessions out of him. They didn't care about his rights. I get right. him up here and he goes, okay, I'm not confessing anymore. I didn't do any of that stuff. I was just kind of leading them along. And suddenly, bang, Fazell is violating his rights. 
And they had a grand jury in San Antonio. They're going to indict me for that. They wouldn't even let me or Jim Maddox into the courthouse. And Maddox yeah. was the attorney general. Right. They wouldn't even that let us crazy. in the courthouse. Yeah, it's crazy. So do you think as far as McLennan County, which you have in the judge and sheriff's uh, respect on this, was it more love uh, or respect than it was hate and, you know, people thinking you were corrupt? It was, it was love and respect in the beginning, but after a while, their propaganda machine was so powerful that I lost friends. I lost supporters. People started believing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the feds come after you, they use a three-prong approach. Disinformation, they start telling lies about you. They tell it to all your friends, in the media, everything they can. Intimidation. They intimidate you any way they can. I'd come out to get in my car, and it'd be unlocked. And I remembered locking it. You know, things would be moved. Uh, our, even the DA's office got burglarized one time, and all the typewriter balls were stolen off the typewriters. That was it. You know, just stuff to intimidate us. Uh, so disinformation, intimidation, the third thing is isolation. They make all your friends afraid to still be your friend. If I would go to dinner with someone, did get subpoenaed to the Austin Grand Jury the next week. Wow. Yeah. And be asked just fishing stuff like, do y'all own any businesses together? Yeah, so they arrested me and drug me off in handcuffs, man. I was looking at 80 years. 80 years. Did you think, though, when that was happening, that you could possibly, was that a thought, or did you just know, like, this isn't going to happen? No, I know how powerful the government is, and I know that innocent people get convicted all the time. I knew so it was had a, not only possible but likely yeah. that I would be spending the rest of my life in prison. Wow. I'd already told my wife, I said, once, if they say guilty, they're hauling me off right then in, in leg irons. I'll never see you again. Yeah. I'll never see my son again. And I, and I I want you to divorce me and go on with your life. So the 80 years, what would that been? what charge was that? Uh, they had me charged with bribery and racketeering. Oh, for um, Henry? No, no. This was over the, those two lawyers uh, that oh, I was talking liars. about before. <laughs> yeah. They they claimed that uh, they gave me some money to dismiss DWI cases for. Mm. Well, the problem is most of those cases, I didn't even know they were in the office. I was the DA. I tried the big cases. I wasn't trying DWIs. Mm. Right. And so I had I had 13 other lawyers that worked for me in the DA's office. And so when we get got to trial, you know, an assistant DA would get on the stand and go, no, Vic didn't dismiss that case. I dismissed that case, and here's why. Let me show you the video. Look here, the cop's weaving more than the defendant is. You know, we couldn't <laughs> have made this in front of a jury. Right. You know, and stuff like that. And this one after another, they got knocked down. And so the jury found me not guilty on their first vote. Uh, some of them uh, talked to the press afterwards and said it was obvious to them the government had just tried to frame me. Right. So, so then you get out and you file a lawsuit. I filed a lawsuit. Uh, problem is with the government is that most everybody has immunity. You can't sue them. You just, you just can't. It's part of the old leftover law that the king can do no wrong. Wow. So the only way you can sue the government is get the government's permission to sue them and most time they ain't gonna do that you know but colonel jim adams had enlisted the help of channel 8 in dallas below broadcasting 
because the FBI and the Fed, I mean, the DPS had been investigating me for over a year, and they couldn't find anything. The FBI said, we got to shut it down. Unless there's a public outcry, we got to shut it down. That's our policy. Jim Adams got him the public outcry. He had a friend named Tom Pawkin who was really big in the Republican Party in Texas who had friends in, uh, at Channel 8. And he introduced him to this reporter named Duncan, Charles Duncan. Duncan came to town and went around with the cops hoping to spread these rumors about me and then would do a news story about, look what the cops are saying about Vic Fazell. And it's just crap they were making it's up. A whole smear campaign. And they did it 11 times over a three-month period. Wow. Yeah. They were working And that was before the election. So not only was I arrested, indicted, the search warrant about the uh, drug paraphernalia, but also 11 episodes from Channel 8 in Dallas that everybody in Waco was watching. What are they going to say about Vic Fazell next, you know? Right. So I sued him. I sued him before I was found not guilty because the statute of limitations on libel is one year. And so the day before the statute of limitations ran, I sued him. And my lawyers, my criminal lawyers, didn't want me to do that. They said, no, they'll take your deposition. They'll know everything you're... I said, so what? I tell the truth. The truth, the truth, the truth. I'm right. not worried about it. Well, they never tried to take my deposition. So as soon as the case was over, the criminal case, I started Working getting on the ready lawsuit. to work on the lawsuit. That's why I resigned from being DA, because I had to put so much of my time into that lawsuit. So I resigned, went across the street to the Liberty Building, opened my own little one-lawyer shop just to get by, just to get by. And by the time we went to trial on Below, every credit card I had was charged to the max. Uh, hey, I, but that was okay because you yeah. won the case. Yeah. We won it. Yeah, it was the largest libel verdict in American history, $58 million. Guinness World Record book. And the Guinness Book of World yeah. Records. I had a fabulous lawyer, a guy named Gary Richardson, uh, who's one of the best trial lawyers I've ever met. And he also uh, defended me in the criminal case. And uh, How much did you win? Well, it was a $58 million verdict. We How much did you spend? We spent <laughs> a lot. We didn't get the $58 million. We settled it for almost 16 Then I split that with my lawyer, so I walked away with mm, a little over seven tax-free. Tax-free. Because liable money is tax-free. Right. That's a lot of money. Seven million bucks is a lot of money, especially back then because you could. I, I, I bought <laughs> tax-free new municipal bonds that was paying 12%. 30-year bonds that were paying me 12% interest and I didn't have to pay tax on it. I mean, that's incredible. What's banks pay now? 1%? Yeah, barely. You know? <laughs> uh, but they weren't going to let me keep the money. They got IRS to change the tax code just to get me and made it retroactive. The whole government of the United States. No, changed. Jim Adams. Oh, okay. Just he was right so here. powerful. Texas. Jim Adams... And, and it wasn't just that. It was the media people by then. Uh, the big media lobbies just hated me, too. Because you won the case. Yeah, and they didn't want other people thinking, oh, I can sue these big media companies and get tax-free money. So by the time they came after me, man, I had spent so much money as unreal. I had bought cars for people, people that had been my friends. I had paid off debts for people. I bought a house 
in Austin and gave it to the Catholic Church down there to run a homeless shelter. Wow. Uh, all kinds of stuff, yeah. And then they come after me saying, now you owe us tax on all that money. I fought it to the Supreme Court of the United States uh, because it's unconstitutional to have an ex post facto law, a law that goes backwards. Right. You know, and catches people up. And so the tax court, U.S. tax court has 12 judges. Man, I won with them 11 to 1. All of them voted. And so then the government appealed to the Fifth Circuit. At the Fifth Circuit, I lost two to one. It was the three-judge panel. So then I appealed to the Supreme Court. We waited and we waited and we waited. And I woke up in a sweat one night. I called my tax lawyer up in Dallas. I said, we got to settle this thing. He says, oh, no, I got it on good authority. We're going to win. I have a friend who knows somebody who knows one of the clerks. I said, no, that ain't good enough. Cut me out a deal. I woke up in a sweat. God telling me to settle this thing. Yeah. So he did. All during the time that you were DA? No, this was after, after. I was DA. Okay. I resigned from DA so I could handle right. the Belo case. And then after I got the money, I moved to Austin. Okay. That's where I grew up, was Austin. I'd come here to go to law school and just stayed. Yeah. So what made you move to Austin? Did after the after the Belo verdict? Yeah. Did I that had make I you had get to get out? away. I had to get some privacy. It's like being a lottery winner. I had people climbing over my fence and knocking yeah. on my back window wanting oh. money. And yeah. you have your babies wanting and money. Yeah. I have, scary. you know, people even, and then Netflix. I love Netflix. They did a great job, but they screwed up one thing really bad. They never said anything about the IRS taking my money away. They took away nearly everything I had except my home. But I had a pretty fancy home in Austin, so I had, I had to sell that. So and then the I went back to work. Seemed like you yeah. had went away with all this money, and then just yeah. that was it. And when really, they wanted money back for the taxes. Really, all of it. Well, <laughs> yeah, it. yeah. They they made a lot of money off of me, and they made it more difficult for other people to sue. Oh, yeah. And also during that time, another big change in the law was uh, back then. If a comp- if a TV station editorialized against you, not news, but an editorial. You could demand equal time and go on and take the time. Well, they they editorialized against me. So, man, I wrote them the letter. I said, I want my equal time. They had to give it to me. Boy, that ticked them off. So then the big media lobby started trying to change that law. And two years later, Ronald Reagan signed a law that said no more equal time. And then that opened the door for all these creeps like Rush Limbaugh to come in and just smear people talk bad about people, and nothing you can do. You can't get equal time. You can't sue them because they're saying, well, I'm just stating my opinion. Well, then what can you do? You're just stuck with them just lying about you and dragging your mud, your name through the mud, and there's nothing you can do. And it's just wrong. The little guy in this country is not being taken care of. Right. It's just the really, really wealthy that are being taken care of, the big corporations and the people sitting on their yachts, sipping their drinks, and laughing about how dumb the rest of us are for letting them get away with this. And insurance companies are some of the worst. Some of the worst. Is that what got you into doing injury law? Car wrecks? Yeah. And because I really just, I don't like to charge people. I love everybody too much. I don't want them to take money out of their pocket and give me. So I like to go after the insurance company, and I get my money from the insurance company. I take it on a percentage. And I front all the expenses, and if we lose, I eat that. 
Okay. I eat it. I, I never come back to you and say, hey, you owe me 5000 for for the expenses in this case. I don't. I just go on down the road. Now, Jonathan's here with me today. He's my legal assistant and my media guy and all that. But uh, Jonathan will tell you, we, we don't lose very many of them. Though. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So That's good. I, I, I like that. I like helping people who have been injured in car wrecks because the insurance companies are not going to treat them right. Right. And when we were at lunch the other day, I mentioned this to you. Everybody needs uninsured motorist insurance. Uninsured, underinsured. It's called UMUIM. That your sponsor, if she sells car insurance, talk to her about it. Because uh, there are so many people since the pandemic now that are driving without insurance. They don't have it. Mm -hmm. And if they run into you and break your leg, put you in the hospital for a few days, you can run up a medical bill of $50,000 in no time. Two or three days, easy. They do a bunch of imaging, it can be 100000 And then you're stuck with those bills. You have to pay those bills, not the guy that hit you, because he ain't got nothing. All he's going right. to get is a ticket for a hundred bucks for not having insurance. <laughs> but if you have UMUIM, then your insurance will pay you if you get hurt in a car wreck and the other guy doesn't have insurance. And let me tell you, right now that insurance is cheap because okay. not many people use it because everybody is required to have thirty thousand in Texas. That's not enough. It ought to be fifty. But uh, it's better than nothing. But if you're hit by an uninsured motorist, there's nothing on the other side. So you, right. you need to protect yourself. And you can, you can get a lot of underinsured for $10 a month. So Vic, if you weren't a lawyer, what career path would you have? What it took? I don't know. <laughs> I've been interested in all sorts of things. Were you, um, were you always into law or were you into politics or no. anything like that? No, I, I, when I was young, I didn't even want to go to college because I didn't think I wanted to work inside. Then after a year of working outside, I decided working in inside would not be so bad. Right. <laughs> so uh, that's when I, st- I'd been a janitor at, at Berkstrom Air Base Hospital. And I saw on TV that the Austin Police Department was taking applications. So I said, shoot. So I got a haircut and went down and applied. <laughs> And they hired me. As a police officer? As a police cadet, yeah, because yeah, you had to go through training and all that. Yeah. But after they hired me, then they realized I was only 16 years old. Wow. <laughs> I graduated realized. from high they school. They realized. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I, was, I looked older, and I had already graduated from high school. I had skipped a year just because I liked to read, and I was kind of smart and good at taking tests. Uh. So I started work there on my 17th birthday because that was uh, the youngest you could be and be covered by the city insurance. Okay. So I did that for a year and then started to college. And then it wasn't until my senior year that I decided on law school. Uh, I was a, a pastor of two different little Baptist churches while I was in college. I was one of the youngest ordained ministers in Texas, too. I was only wow. 18, barely 18. Overachiever you. Ordained. So you, yeah. know, you know a lot, the yeah. word, too. <laughs> right? So, yeah. So I, I pastored. I, I did funerals, married people. 
I'm sure that had a lot to do with you, um, your background and your faith that had to do with you keeping it real with this Henry Lucas case. The right thing, right? Right. You did the right thing when you had all the odds against you, and I think that's very powerful. My dad raised me that way. My my dad's 94 now. He's blind and can't hardly get out of his wheelchair, but he's still got his mind. And uh, he was was a Baptist preacher. Powerful thing. Uh, Right. I was born in Louisiana during segregation. Wow. Uh, we moved to New Mexico when I was 12. My dad became a missionary out in New Mexico. But even living in Louisiana, my dad was always so against racism. He was against segregation. He was for treating everybody right. And he always taught me and my sister to, to treat people right. Doesn't matter if they're rich, if they're pure, poor, what color they are, what gender they are, you treat them right. Okay, Vic Fazell. Yes, ma'am. On this podcast, we do a little segment called Sexy 60. It's just 60 seconds of you telling us what you find sexy. In what? In anything. <laughs> <laughs> anything. 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 What, what is sexy to Vic Fazell? I think peace, love, charm is sexy. Yes. Uh, calm. Uh, someone who keeps their word. You know, that's what's sexy to me. Okay. That's yeah. awesome. I like that. That's a good somebody answer. Who, and somebody who takes care of themselves, who, who loves themselves. That's sexy to me. Yes. Yeah. And I, I mean, loves themselves <laughs> in, <laughs> in a healthy way, not in some kind of crazy egotistical <laughs> yeah, way. <sure>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, thank you for that. Um, we find uh, keeping it real sexy, so I think that's all, that's a good trait that you have. And also, uh, we talked about this at lunch, but um, <laughs> we said you could have been the Hugh Hefner of Waco. No. <laughs> you got a boat? Look. <laughs> just messing with you. But uh, let's just give a quick shout out to our sponsors one more time. Uh, Covered Clothing, Waco Laser Teeth Whitening. We got Elevate um, Smoke Shop. Um, also, Rosalinda's Insurance. And then we have JR Renovations as well. So shout out to all y'all for sponsoring this uh, podcast right here. And uh, one more thing. We have to talk about this book that you wrote. Rhinos, Sharks, and Unicorns. What's that about? What's it's, this about? It's fiction. It's about two young lawyers that they're just out of law school. They're trying real hard to make it. Uh, but they're not the brightest guys nor the most honest guys. They're almost in trouble. They're almost in danger of being arrested and disbarred. And then they meet an older lawyer. Uh, his nickname is Crazy Ike. Wow. And Crazy Ike kind of takes him, takes these two under his wing and throws them into some real crazy situations that they learn from. He's like their guru. Okay. But that they don't, sounds but very they don't know right? it. They just think he's crazy. <laughs> yes. But, uh, but I like it. Uh, the rhino represents our physical and emotional nature. The shark represents our intellectual nature. And the unicorn represents our spiritual nature. Okay. And so it's like an evolution from the physical, emotional, into the intellectual, into the spiritual. But you don't leave any of these behind. They're all come together into one good, solid individual. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. We'll have to check that out. Thank you so much for uh, bringing us this. Um, and another thing we wanted to talk about is you are 
against the death row. I'm against the death penalty. Death penalty, yeah. and you are for marijuana. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm against the death penalty, and I'm for legalizing marijuana. Okay, you weren't always against the death penalty, right? No, I wasn't. I'm, I actually prosecuted several death penalty cases. I put a, I put some men on death row. I so what, what changed your mind? A little distance in the rearview mirror and seeing what was going on in our country starting to realize that not everybody took their work as seriously as I did when I was DA, and I started finding people that I really believed were innocent, had been convicted and were innocent. And see, when I was DA, that was before the Internet. You couldn't Google something. You had to go to the library and look it up, you know, or or just hear it from somebody, and then there wasn't any way to tell if they're lying to you or telling the truth. It was so much easier to exaggerate back then. Now everybody's on their phone fact-checking. Right. But, uh, so just time, just time, yeah. time and realizing that I was wrong, man, that human life is precious. And I know. did check out your podcast. Um, and you were, it was when you were discussing the Rodney Reed, um, um, case, um, he's on death row right now and they were all pulling to try to get a petition signed and try to get Greg Abbott to, um, stop his execution. And it was stopped, but that's just it. Mm-hmm. So, um, do you have an update on Roddy? Roddy no, Reed? I don't, I don't know what's going on with it right now. John, we'll have to check on that. Yeah. Cause I know it was still pending. Yeah, he's um, going to be like Henry Lucas and just maybe not be put to death, but die in prison. Right. Yeah. They like to bury their mistakes when they can. Right. Do you have any hope in Texas um, ending the death penalty? or? Uh, someday, yes. I have a friend on death row, and that's why I'm asking. Cause Probably not in time for your friend. Yeah. Yeah, but in the next 10 to 20 years, I do believe that Human consciousness is evolving in spite of the craziness we see on TV. There's a lot of tension, uh, but where you have that creative tension, that tug of war going on, progress is often made. You know, it's like one of those three steps forward, two steps back kind of thing. But I do believe we're making progress in this in the world. Right. You know, we've so got our problems. Sure. We do. But I think people can think better than they used to. And I think if people would spend a little less time on social media and a little more time with real books or with meditating or with really good solid conversation, that we could push this evolution forward a little faster. That we could all become the unicorn instead of always being the rhino or the shark and fighting with each other. Right. Yeah. I think so, too. Um, a lot of younger people are going to law school. Um, I'm one who would like, I want to start studying criminal justice and start uh, making a difference wherever I can, whether it's being a mayor or a judge or what whatever level of um, change that I can do. She's so serious. <laughs> really? I, really I, I wrote Vic Fazell last at the end of last year, and I was like, hey, Vic, can I work with you like Kim Kardashian does with her, uh, her lawyers? I did. did. (laughs) I'm going, Kim Kardashian. No, I don't think so. (laughs) He's like, I don't know who that is, but 
or what she does. And um, you had uh, you had told us you thought because her dad was a, a big famous lawyer who represented O.J. Simpson right. in the murder trial, and um, you thought her dad was someone else. Yeah, I thought her dad was uh, Caitlin. <laughs> oh yeah, I did. That's how little I know about him. Yeah. I don't ever yeah, watch but it. It was uh, Rob Kardashian, and that's what inspired her to try to go. And now she's doing these. Um, she works with lawyers and help. Uh, she takes on these certain cases that where women are men who were, you know, uh, either sentenced too much time or they had they didn't have enough representation. Uh, she's getting a lot of people out. She's even uh, worked a little bit with Trump to get some people out as well. So um, I know a lot of people were yeah. criticizing her, <laughs> criticizing her because uh, she does. She's not a lawyer. She, you know, didn't go to law school and things like that. But she does have a law team and lawyers on her team that is helping these cases out. Well, yeah. she's taking classes online, so she's doing it as she's... Yeah, she's, like, interning. Know. And in California, you can take the bar exam without ever going to law school. So I don't know if that's like that in Texas. We'll have to look that up. But No? no? Okay. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> so I got to go to law school. You know, different. <laughs> or move to California. Or, or Vic Fazell. Uh, <laughs> we use your law degree. <laughs> But yeah, I, I'm very much interested in uh, making changes, especially with juveniles. I was a juvenile. I was in and out of juvenile all the time. And I think like those, I guess that's where it starts for me is uh, right there and making those changes there in the juvenile justice system too. So that's good. That's where it starts. Yeah. Right. And you need to get, you need to get with them early and soon. Right. Yeah. That's, that's intervention. My goal. Yeah. Right. Um, now let's go back to marijuana. So uh, do you think, do we have any hope in Texas legalizing marijuana before 10 years? We're we going to get the death penalty off or are we going to get marijuana first? Which we'll one? be the last state for sure. We'll be one of the last. I don't know, I don't know why Texas is so dumb about this. I mean, other, other states, they're on the bandwagon, man. They're making money hand over fist. They're building new schools. What do they're, you think it is? What's stopping it? A lot of it's just superstition. They they believe this BS that marijuana is. Is it a, racism still? Partly, but it it's it's gone beyond racism now. Yeah. I mean, they they still. I think part of it is money. I mean, who's giving them their contributions down there that are voting against it? It's the alcohol industry, right. and they they don't want weed to be legal. It's big pharma. The opiate industry, they don't want right. weed to be legal because they're finding yeah. out that weed will get you off of opiates. Yeah. Right. You know? And that stops their money. Now, anybody that wants to say that marijuana is a gateway drug, I introduce Willie Nelson, Exhibit A. It's not. I mean, yeah. here's this guy in Snoop his Snoop Dogg, 90s. Exhibit B. <laughs> yeah, really. Like, I seen Willie Nelson at the courthouse here in Waco one time. He got arrested for marijuana <laughs> no. at a a roadside park just south of town. I was yeah. at the courthouse that day. I don't even remember Did you why. represent him? <laughs> no, I, I didn't. Uh, I wish I could have. 
Yeah, I do because I like Willie cool. a lot. Yeah. I just feel like Texas is very hypocritical, um, especially with marijuana laws. You can go to Austin on 420 and have a Marley Fest, mm-hmm. but there's people locked up in Austin for weed. Yeah. And I think that's crazy because they they like um, have security out there. They have law enforcement out there making sure everything in the Marley Fest goes smooth. Mm-hmm. And but there, there's and- people locked up in Austin for weed and Mm -hmm. not only that but even with death row uh they're hypocritical because they're pro-life against abortions but we have the death penalty like oh yeah yeah yeah. i I don't get that kind of thinking where they're for the death penalty but at the same time they're against abortion they're going to make a woman whether it's rape or incest have this baby but then once that baby is born there's no help you know, we're going to make you have it, but we're not going to help you in any way. We're going to tell you, you should have said no. You shouldn't have had sex. Right. This is your fault. And then when that baby gets a little older, where's this good education for it? There, that baby might end up in prison and then on death All row. Death, and what that's have you a done? cycle, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, what have you done here? I just don't get it. I just think it's mean, it's controlling, it's mean-spirited, narrow-minded, and it lacks any compassion. And so. that's coming from a preacher's child. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you feel? How does faith work into that thinking? Because I feel the same way. And I'm, I, I, I'm a believer too. So, Well, we're supposed to pray for our leaders, so I pray for all of them. I pray for God to open their minds and give them some damn sense. Right. I do because we're just doing so many stupid things today uh, that are just so counterproductive. All of our drug laws are counterproductive. All of them. If we wanted to stop the drug problem, legalize all of it right now. Right now. There wouldn't be any cartels in Mexico in three months. Yeah. You know? It'll be out of it. And it needs to be a two prong a two prong approach. Right now there's billions of dollars in cash just stuck in storage facilities in places because they got no place to put it, you know, because it's illegal money. When the government legalizes drugs, they ought to give a window where they can say, deposit that cash, we will make it legal, and we'll tax it at, what, 70%, 80%, so what, something. And then you go take what's left and be a business person, be an entrepreneur. Legit. Be legit. You know, be a citizen. Pay your taxes. But if we catch, if we catch you laundering money, then, then you're going to get a penalty as though you had been selling, you know, heroin or uh-huh. something, you know, and stop the money laundering. That would help get that would help ease our national debt, it would help put money into social services where we need it. It could help ease the problem at the border because if we legalize drugs, then what about all the gangs in Honduras and El Salvador right. and Guatemala? They're going to disappear too. And the ones that don't, we could send our Marines in and in six yeah. weeks have it taken care of and then be airlifting those people back home saying, this is your country. These guys are dead now. Go in there and fix it. Right. Vote for Vic Fazell, yeah. presidential yeah. election. Vote for me for president. <laughs> and I promise you, I won't run no, again. Right. No, I'm serious. I would not run again and I would not leave the White House. I would really love for you to uh, run for governor of Texas. No, I, I wish Matthew McConaughey would run for governor. I tell you, yeah. well, are they he doesn't have to much. Stop ex- him. Oh, they are. Right? Yeah. They, every time you open the social media now, they're saying something bad about Matthew McConaughey, and that's because they're scared of him. Right. Yeah. I he mean, could, you know, they say he has no experience. 
Well, what about Trump? I know. Yeah. It's so funny. That's how that's how hypocritical our state is. Mm-hmm. No, they but America realized that they didn't put in a business person probably yeah. it wasn't in so, charge. Some of yeah. America, some people are still stupid. Yeah. <laughs> some people yeah, still Yeah, but you know I mean he didn't win and he lost a lot of of voters the like from the first time who voted for him, the second we, time they didn't, you know. Right. And we had our capital attack. Yeah. First yeah. time since like 1814, you yeah. know. 1812, somewhere in there. Like the British. Texas, Crazy. do you know those people like from that Dallas? There was somebody here, I think. Somebody here in yeah, Waco. Yeah, here in Waco went down there. <laughs> hey, I got a, a lawyer in my office that's going to, he's uh, announcing for DA pretty soon. Okay. His name is Robbie Robertson. Robbie Have Robertson. him on your show. Yes. Yeah. Robbie's a Democrat, so he's probably not going to win, but uh, he's going to give him hell running. So you okay. think McLennan County, is it's hard for liberals or Democrats to get in there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I but I think the, a lot Were you a Democrat while you were voting? Okay. Yeah, I was one of the last Democrats here. Karen Mackin was actually the last elected Democrat here, and she was our uh, district clerk. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll definitely have him on and uh, promote him and yeah. get behind him Robbie's as well. A, Robbie's yeah. a great guy. It's you'd, the people you'd like in our Robbie. community need to vote. Robbie They'd was win. an assistant DA for a while, and I hired him away from the DA's office. That's awesome. Yeah. So now um, he's going to run. I do have a last question before I, for me. Um, <laughs> so from the time that you were DA, like it had to be a happy moment for you, right? When you first uh, won. Oh, yeah. From the time that you resigned from those years, what did you take away from the very beginning to like the very end? Because obviously in the end, it wasn't so sweet as it was in the beginning. Yeah, because you had to yeah. resign. Whether it's sweet or not. My takeaway was always have the courage to do what's right instead of what's easy. Oh, yeah. Because what's, what's, because it's not always so easy it's not to do what's easy. right. Yeah. No, it's not. Sometimes it's really hard. Has oh, anyone ever told you you remind them of Bernie Sanders? No. <laughs> <laughs> you're, like the, you're like my Bernie in Waco. <laughs> Yeah, he was real likable. A right. lot of people liked him. Yeah. yeah, you remind me of him because he did the right thing, too, at a young age, and mm-hmm. so were you when the odds were all against yeah. y'all, and I think that's awesome. Yeah. You should I mean, if you're a politician president. and you've never been arrested, you, you ain't been trying, man. Right. <laughs> like, get arrested for doing something good. Good. You know? Right. That'll tell you, yeah. right? For That'll sure. show your character. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Maddox, before he was uh, AG, he got arrested a couple times. So I've been arrested, so that's like a good sign. It's a good <laughs> I think so. I'm halfway there. <laughs> or do I gotta get arrested after I do something good, right? <laughs> no, it's all right. Trying to just, do just something. Long as you know, have you been arrested for something? As long as you checked it off. <laughs> well, it's for marijuana, so I think um, I can I can run for legalization. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it so needs to be. It, it would help a lot of our economic problems. And it would stop a lot of the violence on the street between police and minorities. Because it's a policeman sees minorities in a car and they think, ah. They got weed. They got weed. Yeah, mm-hmm. they see the air freshener, the little pine tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, do, that doesn't help. It does not. Take it off. It doesn't take help. Take it off, people. Take the best down. thing you can do is never smoke in the car. Oh, yeah, for sure. At yeah. all. My, my, my rule is never break two laws at the same time. Because that... 
of your chances of being caught. If you're speeding and smoking weed, they'll pull you over speeding yeah, and catch you with the weed. You know, if you got a burned out headlight, they'll pull you over, they'll catch you with the weed. It's better not to have that weed in your car. And if you got a smoke in your apartment and you're worried about other people smelling it, Get you a paper towel, an empty here paper towel roll. Here goes the tips. Look, I was just going to go into that. And stuff it full of dryer sheets. And then when you exhale, exhale through that thing. You got to show us, Vic. Yeah. I can't do this. You got to show us. People be walking by going, somebody's doing laundry. Right. Yeah, it's true. So we have a segment, and it's Tips with Tea. Tips another tip. Tips we need another tea. tip. Yes. Um, <laughs> that was but a good tip. Before we get into that, though, I do want to shout out to Waco Go Grills for sponsoring Tips with Tea. Um, they do haircuts, and they also have a recording studio for any of the artists out there that want to record. Um, you can hit them up on Facebook at Waco Go Grills. So. Would you ever rock a grill? You mean cook on a grill? No, like a like gold, a mouth a gold grill. A gold oh grill. God, no. no, 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 no. What like like one go tooth no. or something? Like, no. like I'm not that flashy. No, I paid too much money to keep these teeth healthy to go covering them up. Yeah. So with the tips with tea, I usually give like a tip of the week. So since you are our special guest, is there anything that you want to tell anyone like a tip? Just a really good tip to take home. That was a good one that you just did, so that was perfect. But we need, but we need a tutorial on that, Vic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only thing I can think of is buy UIM, uninsured motorist oh, insurance. You need it. You need it. You need it. And remember the trick with the dryer sheets and the in or toilet paper rolls even long enough. So you stuff the toilet paper roll with dryer, dryer sheets. sheets, and then when you exhale, you, you do blow it into that. that. Okay. Yeah. And joints aren't good because, you know, that's all that smoke going up. You're wasting weed mm -hmm. and people are smelling it. So if you're going to smoke a joint, tap it out. And I don't like exhale. joints because they go out all the yeah. time. The best, best thing is a little glass pipe, and then you can tap it out with your thumb and then exhale through your dryer right. sheets. And your buzz. neighbors just think, gosh, those people. Always do their laundry. I love that too. I love that Yeah, and if you if you're smoking and you get through loading your pipe and you're through with it, wherever you are, put it away. Put it away. Put it in a cabinet. Put it somewhere because otherwise, it's out on the table. Somebody forgets. Uh, the doorbell rings. It's somebody selling something, and then. Somebody comes walking down the sidewalk and looks in, and there it is. They yeah, see it. Right, they call right. the cops. That's called the open view doctrine. They don't even need a search warrant then. They can just come, come right in. on in. See? That was a great tip for yeah. all of yes. our yes. listeners all out our there. Listeners. Put it back under the sink where it belongs. Yeah, yeah. put it back. <laughs> <laughs> above the sink. Yeah, if you got above kids. the sink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so smart. That is too funny. Yeah. Well, I I want to thank you for coming. Um, it's been so it's been crazy. Even our our lunch, I I was walked away so happy because I like I've yeah. been saying your name all my life. My brother used to wear um Michael Vick jerseys, and it just says Vick on the back, right? And so I would wear his jersey, and I'd be like, "This is for Vick Fazell, though." <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I was in middle school, so and I like just to have you here on our podcast. It's awesome. Like if you would have told me this in middle school this would happen I would have never believed it yeah she <laughs> told me this story after uh, lunch so, I was like, so what, what's your what's your favorite music to listen to my favorite nobody's ever heard of this guy he, his name is MC Yogi MC Yogi MC Yogi, Yogi. his real Asian? name is Nick 
No. Oh. He, he's, 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 a, he's an Italian guy from, from uh, San Francisco. Okay. Uh, he has a yoga studio in uh, Point Reyes, north of San Francisco. But he and I spent two weeks together a couple years ago in Sri Lanka uh, doing yoga. And, wow. And yeah. Sri Lanka is a big yoga place. And I'm telling you, in Sri Lanka, every class is a hot class. Yeah. Every class. Every class. By 10 a.m., wow, it is hot and humid. It's like being in a steam room. It's a beautiful place, man. Mountains and I ocean. bet you that's very therapeutic. Yeah. It's yeah. A, you know, it's an island right off the east coast of India. Yeah. And a big island nation. Thank you again for coming, Vic Fazell. Thank if you. If we can get on your podcast, I'm down for it. Yes. Yeah. We'll, we'll arrange that for sometime after it's not raining. Okay, cool, <laughs> cool, cool. Thank, Thank you for coming. You're so welcome. Where can they follow you at? Well, if you need a lawyer, uh, just Google Vic Fazell. Uh, I'll come up, V-I-C-F-E-A-Z-E-L-L. Local number, uh, 254-772-7500. Our podcast is The Vic Fazell Show. Uh, we're on all the platforms, and uh, tune in and join us. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And like I said, if we represent you on your car wreck, it ain't ever going to cost you a dime. Thank you for tuning in to this Chronic Conversation episode, and uh, y'all come back, like, subscribe, and share. All that good <laughs> stuff. Go. <laughs> Let's just give a quick shout-out to our sponsors one more time. Uh, Covered Clothing, Waco Laser Teeth Whitening. We got Elevate um, Smoke Shop. Um, also, Rosalinda's Insurance. And then we have JR Renovations as well. So shout-out to all y'all for sponsoring this uh, podcast right here. I just wanted to win. I see the pain in the mama eye. And I'm the first one she called when her cousin died. They wonder why it's so much crime in these streets. Man, this world is so cold and everybody. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.